The Fire Store, equipping protectors with passion. Every decision the Fire Store makes as a company is about its customers. As the holiday season has quickly approached, explore a wide selection of unique and practical gifts at the Fire Store's gift center. Find the perfect presence for firefighters, EMTs, and first responders today. The Fire Store's goal is to get you the gear you need when you need it at prices you can afford. Visit thefirestore.com for everything but the truck and shop its family of brands including Streamlight, MSA, Lion, Fleer, and more. Fire Service Data and Tech Talk. Hey everybody, it's Eddie Buchanan with the Fire Service Data and Tech Talk on Fire Engineering. Uh, welcome back to another episode. We're going to have a lot of fun talking about data and technology uh, this afternoon. And I want a couple of things I want to mention before we get started. The uh, Technology Summit International, TSI, we call it, is coming up in December. It's December 5 through 7 uh, in Irving, Texas. It's right outside of Dallas, literally around the corner from DFW. So very easy to get to. So you want to go check that out. The TSI, Technology Summit International. It's a great uh, conference, particularly for the kind of things we talk about on this show. And even our uh, some of our guests today will be presenting there. So it's a very cool conference. Also, uh, the VCOS Symposium in the Sun is actually happening as we speak, as this show is airing uh, initially in November. So that's down in Clearwater Beach, Florida. I'll be over there uh, doing uh, some live streams, kind of man in the street sort of things for that particular conference. So I hope I'll catch you there as well. But for this week, for this show, I want to welcome uh, my friends from Loudoun County Fire Rescue. I've got uh, Captain Henry Charles and Maria Taylor. Folks, say hello. Hello. Hi. Maria, tell us a little bit about, about yourself and where you come from and what you do and, and all those sorts of things. I have been working for Lyon County Fire and Rescue for about 23 years. I uh, started as a traditional planner working for the planning department, and I was recruited to come to Loudoun to help them uh, with the legislative processes and determining where stations should go and help them with the processes of, of getting them online, where to put them, um, applications to the planning commission and dealing with all of that. Um, and most recently, um, I've started uh, joining in with uh, Captain Charles doing more of the data analytics for the department. So we uh, provide the information to to the department and to all of our agencies that um, require data. And also I assist with uh, facilities group still uh, building new fire stations and things like that. And everything that the fire chief uh, thinks I should be part <laughs> of, as always. Other duties as assigned, as yep. they say. Mm -hmm. yeah. Awesome, well, welcome to the show. Glad to have Thank you Thank you very much. And Captain Henry Charles, sir, how yes, are you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, actually, right now I'm celebrating my 19th year in Loudoun County this month. So congratulations Congrats. to me. So yeah. um, for those 19 years, most of that time has been spent in operational, in the, like in the field. And in April of 21, I came up here um, to uh, administration to work in administration, you know, planning and data analytics. So um, Do you have any, how, how was that transition coming from ops? It's it one thing to go from ops to admin. It's another thing to go from ops to data. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was uh, it was very challenging. Uh, at the same time that I did that, the department was going through a change also, going from 
a 24-72 schedule to a 24-48 with a Kelly. So um, I also was going through and watching what was going on within the field as I was up here. And uh, so it wasn't that that big of a change. And prior to actually coming up here, I had been working uh, with uh, Ms. Taylor and a lot of the other people within our group uh, doing some of the data, kind of getting onboarded over a period of a few months. So it was a little, it wasn't as drastic as I imagined it was going to be, but uh, it was still, still a big change going from being in a firehouse for 17 years or so, and then moving into uh, an office room. <laughs> I understand. Tell for folks that aren't familiar <clears throat> with Loudoun County, uh, and it's, let me make sure I say it right. It's Loudoun County Com- combination fire rescue. Is that how it goes? It's combined no, combination system. Yeah, we combined. are a combination and it's a combined fire and rescue system is that's, that's pretty much what it's, that's how we call it. Loudoun County combined fire and rescue system. So, and we're a combination what is it, department. What, tell us about the structure. Yeah. Yeah. So we have, um, 15 volunteer corporations, um, within the volunteers we have, I believe it's about 760 so operational members. Um, we have about 400 or so administrative members and, and we also have some support members. So we, we come in around maybe like 1300 ish, uh, on the volunteer side and on the career side, uh, for this fiscal year, we have about 656 uniform personnel and about 110 civilian personnel, uh, that help to make up our system. So we have about 21 stations, not about, we have 21 stations, but we have 15 volunteer corporations. Um, and we operate on a 24, 48 with a Kelly. And the fire chief and when you guys is the system. Massive. It's the system chief. Yeah. And then each, co- right. each volunteer company have their own leadership and structure. So uh, it's usually um, a bit of a balancing act to work with all of the volunteer companies. We do have an executive committee that is our governing body. So it's, uh, like I said, it's a little bit of a balancing act, but we all work together. Actually, he's doing a class. I'll I'll give him a little advertisement. He's doing a class at the Symposium in the Sun on leading and managing a combination system, which that's one of the larger systems I've actually heard of around the country. I mean, we're kind of neighbors up from down by Richmond, you guys are just up in Northern Virginia, suburb of DC. So um, not too far away, but certainly a massive uh, combination system. It's difficult. It makes my, I, got a, I just got a little grayer thinking about it. Mm-hmm. It's different <laughs> to find our peers in terms of comparison for benchmarking and things like that when when we are so unique in so many ways. Mm-hmm. Very. So yeah, Maria, tell us about you, you guys work as a team, right? As a, kind of a data team. So how does that what does that entail like uh, for folks that are uh, either have data teams in their fire department or wish they did? <laughs> how, how do you have that put together uh, in your fire department? How do y'all structure there? We we wish we were a bigger section. Uh, it's it's unbelievable how, how busy uh, Captain Charles is uh, trying to accommodate all the requests and and um, everything has a sense of urgency and everybody needs it, you know, today. So um, we are working on, on building our section. Um, I, I do more of the, uh, I, I 
he provides the information, I use it for uh, determining uh, requests to our capital improvement projects and when the stations need to be built, where and how. And he does the, the hard work, which is, you know, maintaining our data sources and making sure everything is accurate, uh, that we're capturing the right stuff. And how is that information going to be used? You know, when we get a request, we try to determine how is this going to be used? Can we uh, make sure that over the years our information uh, is going to be consistent? Because we're going to be making requests for resources. We're going to be making changes uh, to our structure. Uh, we're potentially moving um, units from one station to the other based on the number of calls and, and things like that. So so it is a, a, a high responsibility uh, section for, for us to, to, to provide the information and know exactly how that information is going to influence uh, the future of our department. So uh, our goal is to continue to uh, establish processes that are, you know, more standardized so so we can be consistent and, and our credibility levels uh, continue to grow uh, for the fire chief to stand in front of the public, in front of our elected officials, in front of our field staff, in front of the union, in front of a number of people uh, that rely on, on this information that we're providing. Well, you just you, you hit a, a a key word there, a key term, credibility, right? Data credibility, and that's that's so important. Um, I, I've seen it all over the map. I've I've even seen elected officials take out their calculator in a meeting to try to check data. I was, you know, you, you all, I felt bad. I was like, oh man, this is terrible. But uh, you know, to capture the data process is a job unto itself, right? To documenting how you did what you did so that it could be replicated and then defended if needed. Uh, that, that's a tremendous piece of the data uh, analytics world. Uh, Captain, how, how would you define, or maybe, I don't know, it's not to be that official, but I'm, I'm curious to see your your take or perspective on how, the, what is the fire department's relationship to data? Like the, the folks in the fire station, are they aware of at all of what you do? Uh, do they, uh, are, are the, you know, is, is this something they're aware of on a regular basis? Do you have regular interaction? Is there uh, any kind of regular reporting they might look forward to or comment on? Yeah, so um, a few years ago, well, this this position has been in, uh, has been established, you know, for a number of years. And as the years have gone by, it's gained more momentum. And uh, recently, uh, uh, just a few months ago, we ended up, so we have a SharePoint site. So all of our, you know, all of our workstations, everybody that uh, is either a career or a volunteer, uh, as soon as they get onto their web browser, they're they're pushed to a SharePoint site where we have an operational plan for the day. We have those types of pieces, um, resources, and right there on the main uh, SharePoint site, we have an analytics dashboard. So that dashboard goes through and models out the previous 24 hours of operational, uh, you know, targets, time target compliance. Uh, it shows how many calls, the types of calls, the, um, the most busy time of the day, the most busy times of the week. And every member has the ability to go through and select different filters for periods of time for uh, apparatus, for call types, 
for AM or PM calls for um, a, a number of different filters. And they were able to go through and do that on their own and see the results of it all. And that was a big push from our fire chief where he wanted everybody, he wanted all the members to have the ability to answer their own questions. So if at any moment in time, somebody wonder, or if they're filling out a grant paperwork, well, they can go through there and figure out, well, how many calls did we have in the previous fiscal year? Or maybe if it's for a different, uh, a different uh, application process, maybe they need calendar year data. So you can go through and specify all of those pieces and then get that information. And it's just going to show incidents or it can show responses. And then we can also show the, the performance measures, like the time compliance for those. And um, it gives all of our users that, that option to, you know, data is very valuable. And you can, it, it's transparent to everybody in the fire department, whether you're uh, a new probationary uh, employee or if you're you have 30 years in it's available to everyone so I think that that's been a really good push from our leadership and so most uh, most people within the fire department are aware of uh, who we are and what we're using the data for and as time goes on it it seems as though or it seems that we're using data more and more every single day for everything. Like in the past, we may have used data to help, uh, to help to support maybe budgetary needs. But now it seems that everybody's using data and that's the standard, uh, that the, the times of having those gut feelings or the logical approach without having the data to support it. I think it's, I think that time is, uh, is nearing the end, unfortunately, or at least it is with us. We can't do anything unless we have the numbers to back it up, because I think that's the expectation of, you know, the citizens that we serve, um, the taxpayers and so on. They, they expect to see and understand what it is that you're buying and why, and they want to see justification for it. And they want to see what the reasons why you need new apparatus or more apparatus or another firehouse uh, before they sign off on it. So I think that's, that's an important piece of that puzzle. I think it's important that people understand, you know, fire chiefs have bosses, you know, mayors, city managers, county managers, and they go to the NACO conference and the ICMA conference and they hear about data. You know, that's that's what they're talking about at, at their conference is they're looking at data metrics and how to, you know, and not just in fire DMS and public safety, but across the board and, and certainly in private business. That's the, what drives the world as well. So we're really late to the game. If you look at it from the fire service perspective, we're way behind. Uh, and working our tail off to try to catch up. I'm, I'm curious, what are you using to push those dashboards? I, I'm sure our listeners would, you know, the, the, this real quick. Sure. What so, kind of mechanism are you doing that with? So we have a couple of different types of dashboards. The ones that that I'm talking about specifically now are uh, ha, are <clears throat> being are modeling out our CAD data. So uh, the CAD data that we have, we have Motorola P1 CAD, and we establish a couple of different indexes. So it gets a little bit confusing, but basically at any moment in time, we're archiving data, usually after a 24 hour period. So we're using that archive data. We're not, we do have another dashboard that displays our real time data, uh, like how many, which, you know, how many units are committed to at any given time. But, uh, primarily for the analytics approach, we have to hit, we have to hit like pause 
because if we say, well, the, the filter for a 24 hour period is right now, but that's ever changing because time is constantly evolving. So uh, we go through and we use our archive data. So it's not real time when we're doing a lot of our analytic pieces. And that makes it a little bit easier. So we don't have to do that. And then we set up some of our outlier uh, policies in those indexes. And then we add in other uh, things like our shifts. You know, so for instance, we have three shifts, A, B, and C. Well, that's not necessarily contained in our CAD data. So we add that in with another, um, you know, another piece of uh, software. And then that is pushing everything out to model out within our, and it's Esri is, is our dashboard that we're using for that. So uh, through an experience builder. And that's been very beneficial for us. Uh, there are other ones we've used, you know, whether it was Power BI or, uh, but since we're dealing with a spatial part of things and we want to see things within a map uh, or we want to segment based up off of polygons, like our first two areas, that's why we choose to utilize the Esri products specifically for those dashboards when we're talking about our spatial aspects of it. Awesome. That's very helpful. I know a lot of folks would, uh, you know, they're scribbling notes on that right now. So very, very useful information. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, yeah, that would be everything that we were doing with either the dashboards or a lot of our analytics. Uh, it works out really well when we're doing things based up off of spatial stuff, because that's kind of how, um, our operational members see things within first due boundaries, uh, within battalions, within, within our County, uh, outside for mutual aid. They like to, that's a lot of the ways that they're thinking about things. So those are the questions that they have, like how many calls did we run outside of the county? How many times did people come into the county? Or how many times did this unit operate without outside of its first due? Uh, and when we're dealing with that, the, uh, the polygons or the shapes that we can segment information by are very useful for that. Absolutely. The, um, you guys are doing a presentation at TSI on, you caught my attention with that. We were talking at one of the other conferences we were at, who knows, we go to a lot of shows. Um, but we were talking about a project where you had looked at uh, your ERF related to rural and suburban and urban classifications, right? That, that you had done something that was pretty interesting. I thought maybe it would have been counterintuitive uh, if you, without the data, but with the data, you made some decisions that were pretty, pretty interesting and you were successful in getting it funded and staffed, which is really the, the ultimate benchmark is, can you actually put bodies in a seat based on the, that information? Give me the, tell us a little bit about that, uh, project and how you did it and, you know, some of the key parts and, and whatnot. Sure. So some, some time ago, uh, it was it within, in 2019, we had a study done um, and like an operational service plan done. And they had some recommendations based up off of uh, planning zones to kind of separate things out. And I'm going to make it a, a it's going to be a little long winded. So I apologize. But, but before we get to that part, let me just mention a couple of things about that are specific to Loudoun County so that it'll kind of tie all together. So if you're unaware about Loudoun County, it's in Northern Virginia. It's about 30 minutes outside of Washington, DC. We have the Potomac River to the north. And on our west side, we also have the Appalachian Trail 
that kind of goes in and out of our county. Uh, we're a partial home to Dulles International Airport, which sits between Loudoun and Fairfax counties. And in addition, we have recently had the Metro Line, which is Washington, D.C., DC's uh, primary public transportation uh, trains that come in and out. So we have uh, the metro trains running in and out of from D.C. to the airport and so on. And the and we're about 520, 21 square miles overall. And some of the issues that we have is that we have a very rural section of the county, uh, which is shown with farms, uh, wineries, uh, that type of infrastructure. And on our east side, we have the airport, and we're also home to about 115 data centers. So we're the one of the we're the data center hub of the world. So we have a lot of urban interface, um, and then we also have a very rural interface. So it's very challenging as we're trying to work through as one single fire department to be able to assess and serve the needs of, of this community as well as this one. Um, and I'll let if Maria has anything else to add about some of those different, the rule segmentations and, and, and so on, uh, or the zoning aspects of it. She's, a little, she's more versed in that than I am. Maria, do you so have anything when, to add? When we uh, were working on the service plan, uh, which was going to upgrade and and establish our our service delivery uh, goals and with that we have two three separate um, service delivery goals one for the urban area one for the metro area and one for the rural and the reason for that is because there's a transition area that was that's designated uh, by the comprehensive plan for the county and that section of, is pretty much dividing the county in in sections. And that section of town doesn't have the, the right um, infrastructure. Like the roads are not paved. They're not um, wide enough. Um, so in terms of having one set of, of benchmarks for all of the county would not work for us. So without municipal water, without the proper uh, road network, uh, and then a number and the distance between uh, the developments. So you have you have lot sizes that are three acres, lot sizes that are 20 acres, and then large, large parcels that have been owned uh, by families for a really long time, and also the breweries and, and wineries and a lot of wedding venues. So you have a lot of daytime population and a lot of, of entertainment and economic development that's on the West End without the water and the road network and, and all of that stuff. So when we are trying to establish a location for a fire station, Sometimes, as you know, a building doesn't necessarily solve those problems because we still have the travel uh, times and, and, and the water concerns to actually be able to provide that service. So when this service plan um, was established to determine what our service delivery goals were going to be, um, going with that model of having three separate um, response time goals, was going to help us uh, 
pretty much established the goals for the department for the future. So with the metro coming in, um, and then with the urban area, and then with the rural area, um, everything is different and it's based on what we have. So uh, the county has some, um, in terms of triggers for a new fire station, for as much as the fire chief and myself have fought to establish capital intensity factors, uh, which is the the actual triggers that we use for determining when we need a fire station. They want to do it based on population. Well, if we were going to put a fire station every 25,000 people as they um, established that to be our uh, capital intensity factor, we will have 30 fire stations on the west, on the on the east end. Same same reason in the in the rural area. If we were doing it on population alone, we will have stations everywhere, but no population to serve them or no way to get into them. So um, when we did the service plan, we worked on getting a companion document that was a station siting document, which was to determine the needs of the department for the next 20 years, um, where our stations were going to be and why those stations were gonna be located where um, we're proposing them. And then based on, as you as you mentioned, that we worked with the uh, fiscal uh, plan and the CIP to get those funded. So in the, in the next six, seven, eight fiscal years, then we have our stations kind of lined up uh, for funding based on the study that, that we uh, were working on. Make sure I, 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 capital intensity factor, is that the right term you're using? Yep. Mm-hmm. And what does that exactly entail? For, for different counties, uh, it, this, is, this is the number that we use to, to determine when a station or, or any facilities, they have cap, capital intensity factors for schools, they have them for police departments, they have them for libraries, but those uh, facilities are a lot easier to be done by population because you need, you know, you have so many students, you need a school. For us, people alone won't determine where our stations are going to go. You know, we need to be able to, it's depending on the hazards we're protecting. It depends on um, the road network, how quickly we can get to where we need to go. And with Loughton being so close to DC and it's a dorm, you know, like a pretty much a dormitory community to, to DC, a lot of people live in Loughton work in D.C. So we have a lot of traffic moving from the West End, West Virginia, uh, Maryland, moving through Loudoun to get to D.C. to work. So we have a lot of a lot of our uh, response times being affected by by traffic and being affected by that extra amount of traffic that we deal with on a daily basis. So what I, I want to try to catch for the audience so aside from the population that's commonly used in the uh, capital intensity intensity factor, what other metrics did you look at? Like is response times one? So, so we, just, what, we try to work through that. Um, and, and we usually have to make the case with data and, and presenting uh, some of those maps and some of those charts to, to demonstrate our coverage concerns and, and where our, our challenges are in terms of coverage. Um, and usually we have to explain how population alone is not our only matrix. So we do uh, work with time and distance. 
We also work with whatever hazards we're trying to protect. For example, in the metro area, uh, the development is a lot more clustered together. And, and some of the zoning will allow the roads to be, you know, a little bit narrower and, and things like that. So we need to really be aware of what the development is allowing and use that information to try and, and make the best decisions about where to locate a station. And not only that, now that we do not have, like land is just not available. So say I need five acres of land and somewhere on the east end, which is where two of our future stations are to be located, um, we're gonna have to get creative and that's part of what we do uh, in this in this section is try to come up with ways that maybe a building is not the solution. Maybe we move some units around. Maybe we add staff to existing stations, or we try to do a different model of fire stations. So so now the future of Loudoun County it's it's gonna it's gonna be based on what we can demonstrate and how we can propose to res to resolve a concern if 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 it presents itself um, with data interesting so that's it's it's kind of like a risk assessment that we, we're used to doing maybe through the accreditation process or just emergency management but for a different target audience really you this I, I'm getting a new perspective on your department in particular because your unique marriage, of data technology and planning. And planning is often absent, you know, from the from the equation. So it's interesting, that's a new a new part of the puzzle that I'm not sure a lot of fire departments have put together to have that planning perspective in the room. Well, the audience, it's it's really what, what becomes challenging because you're trying to talk to budget people and everything is based on numbers, right? So so when do you need a station and where and how much? Well, that's not an easy answer. So we have right. been, and, and we have a really good relationship with our board of supervisors and with our county administrator and some of our budget um, staff as well, because we we try to come prepared to those meetings with, we try to anticipate the questions that they're going to have. So we're better prepared to answer them. And we, you know, uh, Captain Charles, myself, the fire chief, our operations bureau, our facilities uh, staff, we all kind of come together and collaborate on a lot of, of that information. So so the fire chief is prepared uh, to answer those questions at, a, at budget time. Great, that's, that's, that's amazing, fantastic. I wish I had that back in the day, <laughs> to have that planning perspective. Like we were just, you know, I know a lot of fire departments are, aren't even in the room yet when it comes to being at the planning table. So uh, that's that's amazing that you're that far downrange and yeah. One of the things that dynamic uh, duo. we're lucky to have is uh, a demographer uh, that works for the county in um, in the office of management and budget, and they are also um, they're very they publicize their information their data uh, for population forecasts uh, utilized in story maps or like an Esri product. Uh, mm -hmm. They typically have done those through these um, areas called the transportation analysis zones, which are not like a little census track, but it's kind of like their own specific um, area to our county. So and there's multiple of them. Uh, so instead of us doing a whole bunch of uh, additional work, what we were able to do to figure out the population of our 
first do areas or our immediate response areas for each one of our fire houses uh, was to drop on all of our first do areas and kind of like a cookie cutter, just slice it straight down and then sum up all the values of the population because they overlap the transportation analysis zones and the, the first do they're not, they're not, they don't follow the same borders. Right. So we end up putting a cookie cutter down through summing all those up and then we can get a population for each individual first do area. Uh, the nice thing is that they do it on a five year increment. So then we've taken past population data. Then we add in our incident data and now we can uh, identify our calls per capita or our emergency calls per capita. And that's useful because those first dues encompass all of those other demographics of that community. So like when we have rule boxes, well, that encompasses that. We might not know all of the different social economic uh, changes or values or trends for that one specific area. But at that moment, we don't necessarily need to. We just know that these this this segment of people called 911 this amount of times. So then we can utilize that ratio and then we can look at forecasted populations all the way to 2040 and then anticipate what our incident volume could be. So then if we take that, we can start to anticipate those the number of emergency incidents that could be um, assuming everything else stays the same. So the nice thing about that is that the, the, the county demographer will go through and look at transportation plans, look at all the other zoning plans, things that are online uh, up until the year 2040 and encompass them within that report for their population projections, which is uh, helpful. So I'm not sure if that all makes a whole bunch of sense, but we take all of that and then we can keep on moving forward to answer the question of how many more ambulances we need, what types of ambulances, how many firehouses, so on. That's a, it's a very interesting and valuable baseline to understand. Um, there, that, that, that was almost a topic unto itself, right? To understand planning and understand uh, demographics and, and how, they are, how they can be used to articulate future call volume. Is is a very important part of that. Uh, we I, we've been we've been kicking this around. I remember a friend of mine, Shane Ray, first had an Excel spreadsheet on this back probably twenty years ago, where we were you know just I call it redneck math in it kind of a little bit. You know we were trying to figure out just on the information we could get at the time. If you built this thing, what kind of call volume would it generate? Now you're looking at. I just wrote down this new term. I think I'm gonna start using. I'm gonna call it Metro Rule <laughs> because. Uh, you got what you have there is not rule. I mean, it's rule, but it's not really regular rule. It's like it's there's people going out there doing stuff, you know, because you have that population base so close. They're out there at the wineries. They're out there at the weddings. They're out there doing all the things, which gives you a whole different kind of target hazard mm -hmm. to deal with. And do y'all have trouble with bridges? Oh, that yeah. kind of, <laughs> that, that seems to be particularly in Virginia where it's hilly. Um we can have a lot of, and our trucks are heavy. You know, you have your heavy, heavy fire trucks. So that's, um, another, that's always a that's another show. I think, I mean, we, we have had um, a, a number of, of, of issues recently with posted weight limits um, changing because of the conditions of the bridge. So um, we are working with our department of transportation and capital infrastructure and VDOT 
and the localities to to kind of pin down what uh, those weight uh, posted weight limits are and and doing individual studies of each bridge to make sure that our apparatus are okay to cross them in the independent studies um, to to get individual permissions for each vehicle to cross. So, so yeah, we can talk about that um, a different day, but yeah, it's uh, never a dull moment around here. Yeah, it's, it's complex, certainly. Uh, so let, let's start walking towards the ERF. I was yep. very curious. Um, tell us about how you did that analysis so, and what that outcome Yeah, like. so right now, as we know how the county's kind of laid out with our rural section and our metro and urban. So in our urban area, it's not too difficult to anticipate that we're going to do a lot of our station placement based up off of population and population density. So when we started using that same methodology and looking into the rural areas, that really wasn't going to work because there wasn't a plan then to build any more fire stations because the population projections aren't really going to justify it the way that it they're justified in the east end of the county. So we started looking back at, well, what problems do we have in the West End, in our more, in our rural section? And we still are limited with uh, meeting our ERF or our effective response force. And for what a lot of people may not know is we look at and try to figure out, well, how many firefighters does it take to mitigate a, situ a, a structure fire within this area? Um, and how fast do we have to have those firefighters on scene? So for us, we want to have 24 firefighters on scene in our rural planning zone. So that rural planning zone uh, is generalized as being like a single family home. Uh, that can also, that can change in an urban area and so on. In our urban area, we want to get 28 there, 28 firefighters on the scene. In our metro zone, we want to get 34. And we have specific times that we want to try to do that. Well, when we're looking at the rural areas, we're not coming, we're not able to get there. And it's not because of, I mean, the population is spread out. And to give you an idea, we're talking about 130 people per square mile, roughly. So, and I'm going to touch on a comparison in a moment. So just 130 per square mile is a good benchmark to hear in our rural area. But just like um, Ms. Taylor elaborated earlier on the road infrastructure, the road infrastructure is limited the width, the size, the type um, to be able to get a lot of fire apparatus from point A to point B in a real realistic amount of time. So we started looking at uh, a gap analysis based up off of geography and started looking at, well, if one station, if we're operating on a structure fire in this first due area, where are all of its help stations coming from? You know, in like a more elementary term. So I call them like a helper station. And it's like, well, they're coming from all over and they're coming from far out. So where could we put another station that may not have a population density, might not even have a lot of people around it, but it's at a great place that could help to accelerate response times. Like if we could put it on a thoroughfare, that would be great because now we're able to cover, cover a larger geographical area in a shorter amount of time because the apparatus may not have to combat with uh, traffic signals. It might be able to have a higher speed limit and it can go in a farther direction. So 
while we started to do that, we found an optimum location that is between five and seven miles of uh, a half a dozen stations. So, and those are all the rural stations. And one of the issues that we combat with is trying to get those firefighters on scene from a safety aspect. Because if we have our first in fire truck get there uh, and there's somebody that happens to be in the home and they end up pulling a line to go inside, well, we all know about building construction these days. Uh, luckily, a lot of those homes in the rural area, a lot of them are built uh, in an earlier time, but a lot of them are still pretty new. So we know that time frame. And so now it's like a safety thing where we really need to try to get those units, more units there faster. If we can't meet our, ERF, our ERF time, at least we're going to be improving it. So that became that strong metric that we were honing in on, like population density, to help to support the the needs of that area because the needs were just different. Um, it wasn't based up always off of call volume, but more or less like uh, the high the the, high, the you know the low frequency high high risk events like a structure fire that might happen out in that community that we really needed to be able to support that and also support for the second call or the third call. So even when one unit is capable of being able to mitigate a, a generalized emergency. Um, you know, a small outside fire or something along those lines. Uh, what happens when the next call comes in? Because we know outside fires, if you have one, you probably have two or three. So where are we, what are we doing about that? So we noticed that, yeah, we're not getting a whole bunch of calls out in these areas, but when we do have a call, the acuity is pretty high and it's going to happen again. So we need to plan for that second and third call. So that those were those metrics that we concentrated on uh, more so than on population density. Like we did on and the other side. part about the houses that are on the rural area is that they are the larger, um, more. I mean, with the, the part that we have not mentioned yet is that Loudoun County, it's uh, quite affluent, and uh, the houses um, are larger, and there's a lot of horses and animals, and so anytime that that we have a call in that section um, of town. The, the there's many things to, to consider and the fact that we don't have municipal water, we're still doing this with rural water systems, underground water tanks and, and dry hydrants. So it, there, there's a lot that we consider when we're making a decision um, like, like what we're discussing. Yeah, that's, that's something uh, they're really commercial fires. If you want to be from a firefighting standpoint, some of the size of these homes can be quite large in, in the what I'll call the metro rural areas where the, the money's you're close enough for the money to get out there, you know, to the what we would call a rural setting. How do you how are you crunching the numbers? How are you running them? How, how are you handling the. How are you analyzing that? Uh, what tools do you yeah. use? For that? So a couple of things um, like the people, you know, we have definitions that help to constitute our rural, urban and metro planning areas and they're dynamic. So as more things are built in our urban areas, it can extend into those rural areas. And now they become urban again or not urban again, but they now become urban. Um, but a lot of the things that we've ended up doing is a variety of different, different uh, analysis through different types of programs. We recognize that when using a single uh, analysis or a single resource, a lot of the times we wouldn't have a strong buy-in uh, as to 
um, you know, from uh, our leadership or peers when we went through to do things. So what we would have to do is we would have to do a variety of different analysis. So uh, for a lot of what I was mentioning in regards to that helper station or like the ERF, we looked a lot at proximity analysis, doing time and distance um, and using, and those are tools that are used within Esri. So we're identifying, you know, where's our 11 minute travel time from all of our current stations? And where is our, uh, our gap? Where are we not meeting that area that the, the area that is not being touched by any of these stations? And then, so we did, um, a variety of different types of, uh, time and distance models for that. Uh, we also looked at our, uh, unit hour utilization stuff or our committed time. We tend to use a committed factor as the, the term, which is just meaning that how much time is it is one unit being spent on an emergency call, you know, and where that's something that's in the rules area. Um, we don't, we kind of tend to forget that the amount of travel time to a hospital and then to come back, um, they may run half of the calls of another uh, firehouse that's in a more urban area, but their committed time is exactly the same because they spend so much time traveling on the streets to get back and forth from another location. So we looked at those uh, and we used, we've used um, the Deccan software. Um, there's an optimization aspect for um, firehouse placement for apparatus. Uh, and that works out very well. Um, so we've used those, those pieces. Uh, the nice thing about that is that you can also segment it based up off of uh, battalions or whatever shape files that you've added to it. So, for instance, like for us, we can say, well, we're going to be looking for an appropriate firehouse location within our rural planning zone. And then we also want to then look at it based up off of incidents, previous incidents or off of geographic area. So like, you know, kind of like the geographic thing is probably what we used to do a long time ago, where we just sit there and draw circles around the firehouses and see like, well, you know, where's our gaps at? And if we need to add one. So, um, and we can weigh it, we can adjust the weight on that. So we can look at it as 70% geographic and 30% incident, uh, historic incident data. Um, but we looked at it all because at, with any one result, there was always another question. Well, what does this mean from the population standpoint? What does it mean from um, from our incidents that we've run? So we've had to use a, a multitude of different pieces to all point into the right direction to be like, this is what this means. This is what we need to be able to, to take away from this. And that's sometimes the challenging part is we have a bunch of data that's out there. We have all these numbers, but what does it really mean? And once you try to put it all together, it's Kind of, it's kind of like a recipe for a cake. You have all these ingredients, all this data that's going in there, and you gotta have to take it and figure out what is it all going to be. And <laughs> uh, sometimes that's a very challenging part because it could be staring you right in the face. Like, oh, I never even thought to look at ERF as a metric to, to make a determination on firehouse placement. You know, but I don't know. Sometimes you just you go through those different. Uh, things and um and that's the benefit of doing a variety of different analysis sometimes one piece just becomes that common trend between them all operational intelligence is the term i've coined <laughs> lately for that you know a lot of numbers but what the heck does it mean to me as a chief you know like yeah what can i make decisions with 
what you know, I think so is, that, that's really what we're trying to It's interesting about that. And, and we, we have experienced that a few times is that you uh, get your initial request for information and you work on that. And there's, for us, for the two of us, there's always more questions as we get into it, get into the meat of it. So we sometimes have to keep focus on what the original question was and answer that question and then kind of go out that way because you can't keep getting out and out and out trying to anticipate all the questions the chief is going to have or, or our budget people are going to have. But like we found that if we answer the original question and then kind of get a little broader on the on the review and the study, then then you do a, a better job, a more comprehensive job uh, trying to trying to answer the questions that they, that come from the original request. But then you get that. What happens if we do this? Well, we have to do that. So it, it's just interesting how 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 dynamic a project can be. It can be something that you think you can do in two weeks, and it can take months. Four years. Six months later. So, yeah. <laughs> Four years. Yeah. One uh, one last so thing you, to, to mention. I, I mentioned uh, the 130 people per square mile in the rural area, and I was going to come back to right. it. The one thing I was going to explain with that is that in our urban area, we're upwards of 2,500 people per square mile. And in our metro area, we're similar. Uh, it's actually a little bit lower because we're, we have a lot of areas that still have not been developed. They've been purchased. They just have not been developed yet. But a uh, kind of a cool metric that we ended up finding out the other day was that um, for the rural area, it rec represents 67% um, of the land mass of the county, but only 10% of the population. Uh, whereas like the urban area, it, um, it represents a 25% uh, of the land mass and 76% of the population. So it's just, it's neat when you think about it and you actually have numbers that represent uh, or, you know, have that, that part on it. So. And the and the end result of this analysis was, you ended up staffing some, or staffing rural stations at a higher level than what you might have done in the past. Is am I right? Yes. Yeah, so it's one of our. It's the future. One yeah, of the recommendations that we that we had was to if we were to increase on the personnel per engine, you know, because we had, obviously, if you can ride with if you can have four people, that would be better than three. And right now we have three in many of the firehouses, but we're working on getting four and we have four at some. So, and the nice thing with that is that we're getting, a, we're meeting our ERF and our rural areas faster if we are doing, if we're riding with four people in that engine. So that's another one of those aspects of, you know, a locality is looking at increasing personnel that from the safety aspect, because we're going to meet our ERF faster if we have larger numbers of personnel on the apparatus that are going to get there. It's interesting from a tactical perspective because, you know, the goal is to get the people there. And when, particularly in a rural area, when you're trying to overcome distance, it makes a lot of sense to staff those units with a higher number. It, where the typical thinking is, you, you know, you always put your people towards the highest call volume and, and, and those types of things. But, uh, I mean, the ultimate answer is to staff all the units with the proper amount of people and we won't have this problem. But that's... I'm in dreamland doing that as a, from a budget perspective. So uh, I thought that was interesting 
that a lot of fire departments that are in suburban areas would find that work something really interesting and, and to want to look at that. You know, maybe that might change the way they model their their staffing. And I think one of the, the biggest kind of goals with data analytics is to try to get the, the data out in front of the budget so that by the time we actually get to where the need is 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 obvious, we could have addressed it. You know, like I always say it's uh, three years to get people and five to seven years to get a building, you know, probably more like seven. So it seems like now. So uh, you've got to have that data way in advance of that so that you can make your case in the budget process. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that, that's really what we're, you know, we're always fighting time, I guess, one way or the other, whether it be on, in response times or in the budget cycle, one way or the other, we're always fighting time, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. you know, it seems. So that, that, what else, what, what else is cooking in the data shop over there? What are you guys uh, working on now that uh, is, is coming up? Well, um, uh, we've been doing a lot of other things like with EMS operations. So one, uh, one piece is, you know, if we think about how units are dispatched on calls and we would, you know, they're dispatched as, you know, EMS or fire. And then if it's EMS and it's ALS or BLS and kind of go down through these, you know, uh, different circumstances. What we started to look at more is the patient care reports. So we have <clears throat> in our locality, we have, uh, EMT basics, we have EMT advanced, we have EMT intermediates, uh, EMT paramedics, and then we have an advanced paramedic, which is like our EMS supervisor. So we started looking and saying, well, where do we need to place those units? Like we have a variety of these units. So what justifies the needs of having an advanced unit over a medic unit or over a basic unit? Or what about, should we have ALS providers on uh, suppression apparatus? Oh, if so, what's the level like and trying to trim and, and work with that data. So we found it so far, it's 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 more it's more beneficial to look at it from a patient care report aspect than on a, how units are dispatched, because the call is constantly progressing as we're still treating and transferring to the hospital. Right. So now we're looking at. Um, the procedures that are done, the doses, the types of medications, the type, the volume of dose and so on that will bucketize um, that one report into one of those areas. So whether it's a basic call, an advanced call, paramedic, advanced paramedic, we have a whole blood program uh, that's administered by our uh, EMS supervisors. So we carry blood. Um, We can do a lot of other uh, pieces, things in the field that uh, we've been advanced on. So we're trying to look at well, where do those incidents happen and what justifies, what are the thresholds to justify additional EMS supervisors or um, the adjustment on the their assigned locations where they should be. So that's been kind of neat because we're, we're putting it into one of those boxes, which the patient care reports haven't really been uh, categorized like that before. They're categorized based off of the call and how it's dispatched. Um, so a lot of the times we might dispatch a medic unit as the closest transport unit, but it's not a medic call. It's a BLS call. So we're trying to do that as a way of doing um, elaborate or working on a more beneficial resource management tool. Um, and then we're going back and we can apply these same criteria to historic calls and historical incidents. And now we can start to look at trends for certain areas. And we've 
confine them to a first due area. So now we can say, well, for the last, for fiscal year 23, in this one first due area, uh, 90% of the calls were BLS calls. You know, 10% were advanced level calls. So what does that mean to us? Well, that means that we probably don't need a, a, a medic unit in that, in that area. Right now we could, we could be okay with a basic level. But we're also looking at where those calls, um, different transport units coming in. So, you know, if one unit is in one first due area and it's operating on 90% of its calls in that area, it's great. But if it's only operating, if that one's operating at 90, but all of the surrounding ones are operating like a few percentages into that first due area, that's the justification usually from the committed factor or the UHU that says, well, you need another unit in that area. Uh, and then this is the type of unit that you need. So because in the past, we've just been able to say, well, we need another transport unit, but we can't really distinguish what level of trans skill level of that transport unit. So that's very helpful as we look at things from a budgetary aspect for the future, because it takes a, a longer duration of time to be able to turn over paramedics than it does to have a BLS provider. So it's about kind of triaging those units and um, adjusting your resources to maximize service delivery. So when you uh, talked about, Captain, uh, the, the resource management, I think that one of the things that, that we have been spending some time in conversations and trying to establish our processes, just so we we have a, a established process for, for each of this um, request that we get. So the next time we get it, we know that that's how it was done in the past for consistency purposes. But also, you earlier mentioned that someone had a spreadsheet, an Excel spreadsheet. So we had a lot of spreadsheets going around the department <laughs> in, in different ways of, of capturing data and the way that people were using that. So we're trying to kind of bring that into a more localized um, and, and more established process. Um, for credibility and also um, because this is not just for budget purposes. I mean, these are also internal decisions that we're making and trying to get all these different sections to talk to each other, like our EMS section and our um, operations section. And we have, you know, our budget and CAD and, and our GIS analysts and, and everyone. So, so we're trying to kind of uh, talk to each other more, trying to keep, uh, things a little bit more focused and 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 using the same process so we obtain the same results when when we are uh, providing information so we don't have to explain why this number is different or why we were doing so well last year and we're not doing as well this year or the other way around um, I think is 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 very important to to keep our historic um, progress in our 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 processes are pretty clear. Yep, it's it's. I think I know that was something we had not evolved to yet before I retired, and uh, you know the, the ability to document and replicate uh, processes is is, a, is an important part of it. We often focus on the numbers and the and the analytics, but don't forget to write it down how you did it. You know, particularly um, there's a lot of movement in the data world. Like, it's retention is a challenge. Uh, with with data analysts and stuff. So if, if you're, it's important to capture the process. So if you do have a new person sitting in the seat, 
at least they know how they came to that number that, that they're looking at at that moment. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's an important piece of it. I wanted to talk real quick before we go about the uh, Metro Fire Planners, because a lot of the stuff we talked about today uh, were kind of topics at that conference, mm-hmm. right? And I, I think a lot of people may not understand what that is. It's Metro Fire Planners. So it's a kind of a subgroup of Metro Fire Chiefs, right? Is that how that's put it together? It started uh, about 40 years ago, and uh, it, it it's a roundtable discussion. And at that point, there were a few Metro uh, Fire Departments that will get together after uh, Metro uh, Chiefs and, and just kind of talk about how do you do this? How do you do that? What, you know, have you used this software? Have you tried this? How many, you know, people you have in this unit or whatever? And and it kept growing a little bit, but um, it is the best kept secret in the fire service. There's uh, a conference that is held every year. Um, and I've been attending for 23 years. I am the vice chair of the board of directors. And we um, hold a conference in a different city every year. Um, and what we do is there's about maybe we keep the number to about 60 to 70 people so we can actually have a conversation and we we don't have we have an agenda of topics that are uh, submitted by the attendees and we pretty much just talk about it we sit around the table pass the microphone somebody ask a question and the departments that have the experience with that subject talk about it um and the people that then their follow-up questions and there's some networking opportunities that then uh, we used to follow up on those topics. We are very fortunate to have uh, great sponsors that uh, take the information that when we discuss a, a problem, their wheels are turning, trying to uh, work out how their software can help us in, in answering those questions. And year round, we keep in touch. Uh, and when you think of something that, you know, I know somebody in, Houston that knows about this or talked about this at a conference and you just grab your your minutes or grab your list of attendees and give them a call and that has been an incredible resource uh, for me when I especially um, you have departments that um, bring people from the field for example Captain Charles and three years later this person goes back to the field and you get a brand new person coming into that position so bringing that person into the conference and, and letting them see um, what it's like to be in the office right you know it's like you you're out in the in the field and they want to know uh, what how the decision makes who makes and why and all that stuff so they're able to learn from the rest of us that have been helping make those decisions and um, and just learning from 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 years of of, of just attending this conference it's it's, uh, it's pretty amazing. It's, it's I went for my second time this 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 past year and it, it really is probably one of the most interesting conferences I've ever attended because you really get a a broad scope of what's going on in the fire service and and hearing what the real world problems actually are. Good and bad. I thought it was really enlightening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good and bad, right? Yeah, I left. I left with a lot of questions. Actually, like I'm not sure if we're doing that the right way. Maybe, maybe there's a better way to approach something, uh, you know, from a fire service perspective. But it's MetroFirePlanners.com if you want to learn more about it. Just keep an eye on it. Um, I want to thank y'all uh, for coming on the show. It's been really interesting. I have learned a lot. Uh, you know, like some 
like the planning, the planning, the dynamic duo, I'm going to call you now because you have the planning and you have the data and you have the operations all, all wrapped up in one small, though be it small team, very effective team that's doing some tremendous work up there in Loudoun County. So I appreciate you taking the time to be on the show today. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having us. And that's a wrap for this episode of the Fire Service Data and Tech Talk. You can find us on fireengineering.com. Be sure to tune in uh, next month. We'll be back for another episode. And you can find us on social media. We're on Twitter at, uh, at Data Tech Talk. And you can always find me on LinkedIn, too, or on the Facebook page for the show. So hope everybody has a, a good November. Have a good Thanksgiving. And we'll see you in December. Be safe. Fire Service Data and Tech Talk. The Fire Store, equipping protectors with passion. Every decision the Fire Store makes as a company is about its customers. As the holiday season has quickly approached, explore a wide selection of unique and practical gifts at the Fire Store's gift center. Find the perfect presence for firefighters, EMTs, and first responders today. The Fire Store's goal is to get you the gear you need when you need it at prices you can afford. Visit thefirestore.com for everything but the truck and shop its family of brands including Streamlight, MSA, Lion, Fleer, and more.